The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. To the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by our good friend and Democratic political strategist and head of Bannon Communications, Brad Bannon, who you are all very familiar with if you listen to the Leslie Marshall Show. We're both going to be with you for the next two hours. We're going to be taking your calls about moving forward after yesterday's primaries for Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump. What is the state of the race? What comes next? And basically just digesting and analyzing what happened yesterday. And we want to get your thoughts on that throughout the show. You are welcome to join us at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. But Leslie's open, I feel, is uh, very fitting uh, as her song Woman uh, about the significance of what I think was the most significant part of uh, last night. So let's hear from uh, the woman herself from yesterday, former Secretary of State and now presumptive Democratic nominee Hillary Rodham Clinton. Thanks to you, we've reached a milestone. The first time, the first time in our nation's history that a woman will be a major party's nominee. Tonight's, tonight's victory is not about one person. It belongs to generations of women and men who struggled and sacrificed and made this moment possible. In our country, it started right here in New York, a place called Seneca Falls in 1848. When a small but determined group of women and men came together with the idea that women deserved equal rights, and they set it forth in something called the Declaration of Sentiments, and it was the first time in human history that that kind of declaration occurred. So we all owe so much to those who came before, and tonight belongs to all of you. I want to congratulate Senator Sanders for the extraordinary campaign he has run. He has spent his long career in public service fighting for progressive causes and principles, and he's excited millions of voters, especially young people. And let there be no mistake, Senator Sanders, his campaign, and the vigorous debate that we've had about how to raise incomes, reduce inequality, 
increase upward mobility have been very good for the Democratic Party and for America. This has been a hard-fought, deeply felt campaign. But whether you supported me or Senator Sanders or one of the Republicans, we all need to keep working toward a better, fairer, stronger America. Now I know it never feels good to put your heart into a cause or a candidate you believe in and to come up short. I know that feeling well. the battle that awaits let's remember all that unites us that of course was secretary of state hillary rodham clinton who is now the presumptive democratic nominee after collecting enough pledged and uh, committed superdelegates last night with her uh, victories she she almost uh swept last night I, I believe senator sanders won brad was it uh no, was it south dakota and montana is that correct uh, Senator Sanders uh, won uh, North, the North Dakota. North Dakota. I knew I would get which one wrong. North Dakota and Montana, and Hillary Clinton yeah, won. North Dakota and Montana. The big prize of California. Um, I, you know, but before we get into those results, um, I first wanted to ask you, Brad. Considering, let me let me ask you this first. How, how long have you been in politics, Brad? <laughs> are, are you allowed to answer that on air? Let's just say a couple decades plus. So I guess, you know, with someone in, in your position, I just wanted to ask you to describe uh, the significance of the U.S. having its first female major party nominee for president. Well, I think it is, in fact, historic because it shows how much the United States is changing. Um, if you had gone back, uh, let's say, to the 25 years or so I've been in the business, uh, and you told me that someday we were going to have a black two-term president, uh, and that there's a good chance that a uh, black two-term president will be uh, uh, succeeded by a female president, um, I think most people 25 years ago would have said, you're crazy. Um, but it's about to happen. Uh, it, you know, and I think that it, it really shows anything how America has changed. Um, I think I've talked about this when I was been on with Leslie, uh, but for context, uh, in 2012, uh, Mitt Romney won uh, the white male vote over Barack Obama by about 30 points. Um, and um, I don't want to point to the obvious that despite the fact that he won white men by over 30 points, uh, Mitt Romney did not become president. Uh, and the reality is uh, white men who have controlled uh, American politics uh, since the dawn of our republic don't call the shots anymore. Uh, the Democratic, you know, I mean, one way to look at the Democratic Party thing 
is that my guess, when it's all said and done, um, about the split between female, male and female voters in the Democratic primaries was 55% uh, female and 45% male. And the reality is that over the last couple of decades, the Democratic Party has be- become more and more female, uh, while the Republican Party has become more and more male. And Hillary Clinton's nomination uh, is a reflection of the uh, changes in the Democratic Party. Uh, the other thing that is very striking is if you look at this year's exit polls in the Democratic primaries, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders actually won a majority of the white Democrats who voted in primaries. But Hillary Clinton ended up with about three and a half million more votes than Bernie Sanders uh, because uh, she won lopsided majorities among Latino Democrats and black Democrats. And the reality is the Democratic Party is no longer a white male party. Uh, it is uh, white females, blacks, and Latinos. And those the, uh, they supported Hillary Clinton, uh, which is why she's the nominee. Uh, and then, while on the other hand, the Republican Party is becoming older and more male, uh, and that's not the way America's going. No, and, and you know, you bring up an interesting point, Brad, that I didn't plan to ask you this early, but I, but I want to touch on it because it was something that you just mentioned, which is the white, uh, or as people call it, the white working class vote. In a general election matchup between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I think that is one area where Hillary is going to have to have some outreach. It, it's a demographic that she actually captured in the Democratic primaries in 2008 versus President Obama, but as you said, she did not versus Bernie Sanders uh, this time around. And a lot of, um, you know, those in the Rust Belt, I I think Trump is, you know, absolutely just being blatant, trying to appeal to people talking about things like NAFTA. And even though he couldn't pronounce it last night, the TPP um, and pretty much, you know, a lot of these issues talking about uh, not only trade, but how our jobs have been lost overseas. Now, those of us who know him know he's completely full of it because his products, you know, when he had a chance to put his money where his mouth is, he had them made in China. But uh, speaking specifically to that demographic you just brought up, how does uh, uh, Hillary Clinton uh, go after that demographic when Trump, you know, the types of attacks he's going to, to level at her and how important of a role will Bernie Sanders play in helping Hillary Clinton with that demographic? Well, first of all, um, if you're looking at the white working class vote in the Rust Belt, uh, there's one simple uh, mathematical reality. There are fewer and fewer of them every four years. Uh, and if you let's look at a state like Pennsylvania, which is often considered part of the Rust Belt. Uh, the uh, western Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh area, uh, which is very industrial and is very much a part of the industrial Midwest, uh, it's possible Donald Trump could make some de- gains uh, in western Pennsylvania. However, the problem he's going to face is that for every uh, male working class uh, male uh, he 
wins in western Pennsylvania, he is going to lose at least one female Republican who lives in an upscale Philadelphia suburb, and there are going to be more Latinos voting in Pennsylvania than did in 2012. So, yeah, he may pick up some white middle-class voters, but those losses, Hillary Clinton will more than make up for those losses among uh, Republican women and the increased Latino turnout. I think the other point that was brought up last night that I find interesting, Brad, and we can talk a little bit about it after the break, is that uh, millennials now out, I think those don't millennials uh, of of voting age uh, either close to or will outnumber baby boomers uh, in this coming election. Now, that doesn't mean they're all going to vote, obviously, but uh, Trump really does poorly uh, with millennials. That's a, a demographic that Bernie Sanders does very well with. And I think at the end of the day, and we can talk about this, uh, Hillary's going to have a much better chance, with Bernie's help, I think, of capturing that demographic uh, than Donald Trump will. We can talk about that after the break. We're going to talk more about the significance of Hillary Clinton becoming the first major party uh, nominee of the uh, as a female in the United States, what that means to you and the significance for our country. I also want to talk about uh, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump's speeches last night. Uh, and anything you guys uh, who are listening, guys and gals, uh, have to say on any of these subjects and more, feel free to give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Again, I'm Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer, and I'm joined by our good friend Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, which is a polling, message development, and media firm which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. Brad writes for EpicTimes.com, and he's a lecturer in political science at Salem State University in Salem, Massachusetts. You can follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. Again, this is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by good friend and political strategist Brad Bannon. He runs Bannon Communications Research. You can check out their website at BannonCR.com. Brad, before the break, uh, we were starting to talk a little bit about the uh, voting blocks in the 2016 general election. And I was starting to uh, ask you about the number of millennial voters compared to baby boomers this time around. What's your analysis looking like for that? Well, this could very well be the first presidential election in which the uh, millennial generation uh, is the largest uh, group of voters. Uh, It's been the baby boomers uh, for the last several presidential election years. Uh, But this year, uh, the uh, baby boomers uh, are going to step back, and the millennials are going to uh, step forward as the big power block in American politics, and they will be the most important power block for a number of presidential elections to come. I have to say, as a, uh, I'm just on the edge of uh, the millennial voting. I'm, I'm the oldest one who can be part counted, as far as I read. And I actually read 
uh, that book, Millennial Momentum, that uh, two of your good friends uh, wrote, Brad, that we've had on your show uh, when you've guest hosted before. Great book. Uh, and, yeah, I definitely would recommend it. It actually goes into the different generations and the different characteristics they share. And, you know, that analysis uh, included looking at the millennial uh, generation. Uh, you know, many people that I know myself, um, you know, I'm, I'm 33, my uh, assistant producer is, you know, about nine years younger than me. And I know many people in between, you know, both of those ages. And I can count on probably almost one hand how many of them are have supported Donald Trump. Um, now, a lot of them I know have supported Bernie Sanders. And, and I know some of them are uh, already planning on supporting on Hil- Hillary Clinton uh, during the general election or are basically saying that, um, you know, they, they want to see what Bernie does, but, you know, they're probably going to vote for Hillary. And not that many of them tell me that, you know, they're either going to stay home or vote for Trump, this quote unquote Bernie or bust group. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, I think it'll become even uh, um, stronger, especially in the millennial group, um, that they do plan on supporting Hillary Clinton, um, whether they are doing it enthusiastically or quote unquote holding their nose. And I think a lot of that is going to have to do with Bernie Sanders, which I I sincerely not only hope, but believe he will put his will 110% besides uh, behind Hillary Clinton, not only because he doesn't want to see Donald Trump, but because I think he's going to have a voice in the platform that is created and in, you know, the type of message uh, and goals that Hillary Clinton wants to achieve uh, if she becomes our first female president. Because I also think he's done a great job of helping to shape the debate and helping Hillary find her voice and find the issues that resonate with Democratic voters. Um, and, you know, I know that's something that you've mentioned before, Brad. I, Hillary mentioned that she thinks he's been good for her and good for the Democratic Party. Uh, and she mentioned it last night in her speech. Uh, yeah, she did. And, um you know, all you have to do is uh, listen to what Bernie Sanders tr- said during the primary campaign. He said several times uh, that he is going to support Hillary Clinton uh, if uh, she becomes the nominee of the party, which she will be soon. Uh, Hillary Clinton often said that she would support Bill uh, Bernie Sanders, if he was going to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. Uh, and I think Bernie Stan- Sanders will stick to that pledge, uh, and that undoubtedly will help uh, Hillary Clinton uh, galvanize uh, millennial voters, um, which is not going to be hard because uh, Donald Trump is the great uniter. Uh, he's Donald Trump is bringing all the factions of the Democratic Party together. Uh, seniors who support Hillary, uh, millennials who supported Bernie Sanders. Uh, you know, Donald Trump is, you know, uh, is the great uniter for Democrats. Uh, and I think you're going to see Elizabeth Warren endorse uh Hillary Clinton soon, and she is as popular or more popular with Sanders supporters as Bernie is himself. So I think a number of things will fall into place in the next uh, couple of weeks. Brad, we're going to take a quick hard break here. If you'd like to join in with Brad and myself, the number is 888-6-LESLIE. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer. Very pleased to be joined today by Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research. You can check that out at BannonCR.com. Brad's a great follow on Twitter, at Brad Bannon. If you'd like to follow myself as well, mine is at Mark J. Grimaldi. That's G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. We're going to go ahead and get to our callers now. First, we uh, started off with uh, Michael in the Bronx, a longtime caller and longtime listener of the Leslie Marshall Show. Michael, I know uh, you have supported Hillary Clinton throughout this primary, and uh, this must be a very exciting day for you, Michael. Absolutely. And I think, Michael, we're going to have to come back to you. It sounds like your phone uh, might be going out. So let's uh, go to Doug in Seattle on uh, line three. Doug, welcome to the show. Go ahead with your thoughts. Uh, thank you, Mark, for having the conversation. Uh, I Absolutely. think that a woman being this close to president of the United States is not only a step forward for the United States, it is a step forward for the world. And also, I think next on the agenda is uh, a chief justice of the Supreme Court who is a female. Uh, we still have not done that yet. I think that would be a, a great step forward. Uh, it's it's too bad that, uh, you know, it, it's not an opportunity that Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, has right now. Um, I don't know. I don't even know. I should know this, and I don't know this, but Brad... If, uh, you know, Hillary becomes president and then we have a Democratic, uh, you know, democratically elected Supreme Court justice nominated and we have the majority, would Ruth Bader Ginsburg likely become the? No, uh, John Roberts' uh, tenure. That doesn't change? Okay. Is for life, so he'll. Uh, John Roberts will continue to be Chief Justice as long as he's on the Supreme Court. I got it. okay. So it doesn't matter who's in the majority opinion. Wise. No, doesn't. I got it. okay. Well, that's an interesting point, though, and I think that that's a good point brought up by Doug. There's still, unfortunately, a lot of firsts that need to to happen. I know um, the hour before Mark Levine brought up so many other countries before the United States who have had female leaders. I mean, you have, you know, Israel back in 1969, you know, many countries that are considered less democratic than we are have had female leaders. And, you know, I I was watching last night something I alluded to last hour a bit uh, with Mark uh, briefly was, you know, I have a a daughter who's about to be two years old. And, you know, I I look at her and I think about how different... her life is going to be just looking at things like gender and sexual orientation than mine was compared to, to my father and my grandparents. And um, it makes me really happy that, um, you know, if this does happen before she even the thing, the first thing she'll even remember is that the first president she even knew of was a female president. And I think that will be pretty special for many, um, many little girls and, and many women uh, who went before uh, Hillary Clinton and, um, you know, were unable to uh, to break the glass ceiling. Um, Doug, what do you think about, uh, you know, the work that Hillary uh, and Bernie need to do to unite the party? Well, uh, I'll tell you what I think is missing from the political conversation, and, and it's very simple, and it is, a, it is kindness. We need to return to the idea that basic kindness and basic decency, even when we disagree with each other, basic kindness and basic civility with each other is paramount. We cannot survive without love. Without love, we literally start perishing. I I couldn't agree with you more, and I think, you know, one of the the ways that... um, you know, early in the primary process, and I thank you for your call, Doug, that I was very pleased about was initially when, you know, and, and I've said I, I 
voted for and volunteered for Bernie Sanders, um, you know, in the New York primary where I'm from, one of the things that really heartened me initially was in the first debate when, you know, he shedded off the chance to criticize Hillary about her emails and had the famous moment about, you know, enough about the damn emails. And um, as a Sanders supporter, I was disappointed to see him go negative um, around the time of the New York primary. And then um, I just I don't think it's a smart strategy and I don't think it's what supporters his supporters like about him. Um, I think there's plenty of um, things that he has done that plenty outweigh that, though, in in his campaign, you know, his primary. And I think those are honestly what will help shape the race. But I agree with what Doug said. Um, I think once we see the two candidates, um, you know, showing that kindness again towards one another, I think it's going to go a long way to heal the divide um, within, you know, the party that, that there is from this primary process. Um, but I also think, as Brad said, the great uniter, I think, behind all of it will be Donald Trump on the other side, just being absolutely vicious and, you know, just telling boldface lie after boldface lie, you know, and attacking a president who right now is more popular in his eighth year than Ronald Reagan was. I think that's also going to help to unite the party. And we'll, we'll get with Brad on that about President Obama's role in this campaign, which I know he's just, you know, chomping at the bit to get involved. But I think rightly so, waiting on the sidelines until or is waiting on the sidelines until the Democratic primary process uh, comes to an end. We're going to try to go back to uh, Michael in the Bronx, who was having some phone issues. Michael, go ahead. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yep, go ahead, Michael. All right, and hi, Brad. Hi. You know, as, um, as you were saying, Mark, that this is a phenomenal day in which eight years ago we saw an African-American make history in becoming the Democratic nominee for president, and then he's now our current president who's done a fantastic job in his eight years um, even when you look at all the Republican right-wing obstructionism and hate, a lot of hate that was going on, uh, obviously for racial reasons as well as other political reasons. Now we fast forward to today, and we have a first female pre um, Democratic presidential nominee who I am certain will become our first female president. And it's a wake-up call for all of America. you got some of these hard-knocked right-wingers so far to the right, so full of hate and discrimination. They want to turn back the clock to the days of slavery in, a, in the racial area, and then they want to turn the clock back to the days of Neanderthalism as in the sexism area. And you can't do that. You know, women are human beings, people of color are human beings, and they also have a lot of talent and a lot of smart. Some of them, many of them are much more intelligent than some of these, um, if I can use the word, idiots that you hear on the radio. I mean, I was just so flabbergasted when one Donald Trump supporter said that Donald Trump will make an excellent president. It's about time this nation is um, run like a business. And I was... I said, excuse me, the people make up this nation, and the people are not business. We all have rights. We all have um, emotions. We are not things. We are not business commodities. No, the other thing is it, you don't want it run like a business, especially by Donald Trump, considering how many of his businesses he ran into the ground. And, you know, he had, you know, a nice uh, nest egg left to him by his 
uh, you know, millionaire father, you don't you don't get that many. You don't get a second chance. You know, the economy doesn't get a second chance. You can't go bankrupt and then just come back and reinvent yourself because you know you were you know born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Um, as Barack Obama has you know proven, it's hard to to um, to have an economic recovery. And even when you do, I think it's like seventy three straight months of job growth. You still have your doubters and your detractors. And you know, it took them this long to cut employment in half uh, below five percent when it was as high as I think you know over 10 percent at one point in 2009 Michael I think you make some great points there was a great point uh that actually kind of uh it was a, a visualization that was put by uh Bakari Sellers who is a CNN uh, uh correspondent last night and he said it's pretty amazing that if you think about next Thursday in the District of Columbia that um Malia Obama you know the the daughter of our first African-American president will have the opportunity to cast a ballot for uh, the first, you know, female president uh, this Thursday. And I think it's that was a, a pretty cool point that was brought up by him that I think also connects the dots, uh, as Michael had brought up. Um, you know, I also want to make sure uh, that we get to our other calls here in this segment. So I'm going to move along now. We're going to go to uh, Mike in, uh, uh, actually, let me see. Yeah, Mike in Memphis wanted to ask Brad and I uh, a question about uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, so, uh, Mike, welcome back to the show. Go ahead with your thoughts, sir. Hey guys, how y'all doing? Good, thanks um, for calling. What I want to ask uh, is about what role and what kind of power you think Bernie Sanders should have in the platform. Because when I look at it, you know, uh, I think Hillary Clinton just proved that this country is that the Democratic Party basically a center left party, you know, and that I believe that if we we do go radical left, it just would be a, a prescription for more gridlock, you know, because. This country is not ready to go through that again, not right after eight years of uh, progress. You know what I mean? Just go back to gridlock. Well, let me ask you, know you a mean? question because I, I think there are some, 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 there's some credence to both, both sides of that, I think. So what do you think are some, some policies that maybe Bernie would you know, want to – obviously he's not going to get exactly what he wanted, but something that he might go to Hillary with that you think would be too much, uh, you know, versus something that she should just tell him, no, flat out, no, we can't do that. Is there anything on, on your mind specifically, well, or are you just talking more abstract? <laughs> But specifically, you know, forced colleges, college-free college, education for everyone, forced universal health care. I think we got to build up to get universal. We got to get the infrastructure to get universal health care. We got to win the Senate back. We got to win the Congress back. You know, we got to, it's a lot of work to be going between to get to that point. And to, to have, I think to just fully to have his uh, supporters believe that in four years that we're going to have all these things, you know what I mean? So, when we don't get them, then they get frustrated and then go back to the Republican Party like they normally do, the independent I think that's a, a good question. Brad, what are your thoughts on uh, the, the points that Michael just, uh, excuse me, Mike from Memphis just brought up? Well, uh, the first impression I had uh, from what Mike said is that uh, Bernie Sanders has already had a great uh, in, a deal of influence on the Democratic Party platform. Uh, the very fact that he drew Hillary Clinton so far to the left during the primary process uh, means that the Democratic platform is going to start out pretty liberal, uh, and a lar in large that's largely due to Bernie Sanders. Uh, now, I think that I don't know exactly what's going to happen, uh, but I think these are the the issues that Bernie wants to push in the platform uh, include the following: uh, 
an end to uh, deals, uh, international trade deals like NAFTA, uh, raising the minimum wage to $15, Restoring the Glass-Siegel Act, uh, which uh, prevented uh, banks from acting as financial investment firms, uh, those are the uh, things that I think Bernie wants in the to be in the platform. Uh, and my guess is Hillary Clinton will try to be as amenable as she can uh, because I, she wants to accommodate Bernie Sanders and his supporters. But, you know, even if nothing happens, the platform is already going to be more liberal than it would be uh, because of the fact that Bernie Sanders raised all these issues during the primary and Hillary Clinton moved to the left to accommodate him. You know, and I, and those are all very popular, especially within the Democratic Party. So I don't think those are, you know, some outlandish policies that are all of a sudden going to put Democrats, you know, in vulnerable positions. I think those are are popular, you know, not just in the Democratic Party, too, but throughout the United States. Those specific three items you mentioned, Brad. So I I think that's a winning formula in my mind. Um, We're going to go next to uh, Ann in uh, Oregon. And if you'd like to uh, give us your comments, we'd uh, love to have them. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, It's my understanding that the president appoints the head of the the chair of the DNC, is that correct? Yes, I, I, that's correct, right, Brad? Well, uh, usually it's correct. Uh, but uh, actually, uh, Hillary Clinton, the president, incumbent uh, president, uh, defers to the nominee as he's leaving. Uh, and so uh, Hillary Clinton will choose whoever the next DNC chairs be. And I think she will make a change, and I think she'll replace Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Good. Hallelujah. I, what do you think of the idea of her appointing Senator Sanders? Well, I don't think that's going to happen for a couple different reasons, uh, mainly because I don't think Bernie Sanders wants the job. Um, I think Bernie Sanders, uh, short of being president of the United States, would be very happy uh, to uh, uh, continue being a United States senator. Uh, so I don't think he'd even want the job, so I doubt Hillary's going to offer it to him. Uh, I think uh, there are several possibilities. Uh, one possibility I could see happening uh, is, uh, well, you know, there really, it wouldn't surprise me, for example, uh, if the new head of the DNC is Latino. Uh, I think a big focus of uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign uh, this year is going to be to galvanize Latino voters, uh, and I would bet it wouldn't surprise me a bit. It would be some prominent Latino, uh, like Tom Perez, uh, the Secretary of Labor, uh, or somebody like that, because I think that's going to be the basis of uh, Hillary's campaign. Um, but I'm almost sure uh, that, it, that she will not keep hit Debbie Wasman Schultz, uh, because Debbie Wasman Schultz is toxic, and I'm sure that uh, she will get rid of Schultz as a way to accommodate Bernie Sanders support. Uh, If you'd like to join in around any of these topics, uh, we're also going to talk, we're going to hear from Bernie Sanders last night, as well as Donald Trump's uh, teleprompter, uh, I don't even know what you want to call that, I guess a speech, no PPP, as Trump says. Uh, This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, again, being joined by Brad Bannon. Uh, We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. 
Check out the website, lesliemarshallshow.com, and check out Brad's website, bannoncr.com. That's B-A-N-N-O-N-C-R.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Brad Bannon. We'll be right back. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, Leslie's executive producer. And I am, of course, joined by a good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, which is a polling, message development, and media firm, which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. He blogs for EpicTimes.com, and he's a lecturer in political silence at Salem State University in Salem, Massachusetts. You can follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. Check out his website, BannonCR.com. Brad, welcome back to the show. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Very good. So I want to play now uh, a clip from Bernie Sanders' speech last night, and then we'll uh, get into that a little bit more. Next Tuesday, we continue the fight in the last primary in Washington, D.C. to fight hard to win the primary in Washington, D.C. And then we take our fight for social, economic, racial, and environmental justice to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. that the fight in front of us is a very, very steep fight. But we will continue to fight for every vote and every delegate we can get. 
So, Brad, that was the part of the speech that a lot of the media focused on last night. A lot of people wondering if after Hillary's big night, uh, including what ended up being an even bigger night as she won uh, by a large margin in California, if that would force uh, Bernie Sanders to uh, basically drop out of the race last night. I I didn't expect that. I know you didn't and many others did not. Um, He did say that. He is planning on uh, participating in the primary in D.C. on June 14th and that uh, he also wants to take uh, his fight to the convention, um, which begins on July uh, 25th. Um, Do you still think he'll do that? I know he's supposed to meet with President Obama Thursday, or do you think that there's more of a chance now that following the D.C. uh, or excuse me, between when the D.C. primary ends on June 14th, and when the DNC begins on July 25th, that, that he may bow out? Well, uh, first of all, uh, he is going to lose the D.C. primary badly on Tuesday uh, for the very simple reason an overwhelming majority of the Democratic primary voters in Washington, D.C., are African-American. And African-Americans have been supporting Hillary in the primaries by about a three-to-one margin. Now, I think you have to listen to his words carefully, like any politician's words. Uh, what he said was he's going to go on and, uh, you know, fight for delegates in the D.C. primary, and he'll win a few, but Hillary Clinton will come away with the lion's share. Uh, and then he said he would continue to Philadelphia to fight for social justice and social equality. Uh, that doesn't mean he's going to Philadelphia to fight for his candidacy. Uh, he will continue to fight to Philadelphia, and he will fight in Philadelphia very hard uh, to get his uh, issues incorporated into the Democratic Party platform. Uh, but and, and all you have to do is look at what the Sanders campaign is doing. Um, a month ago, it laid off 400 of its staff members. Uh, the New York Times reported yesterday uh, that uh, today or tomorrow he's going to uh, uh, basically uh, get rid of half of his remaining staff, which isn't very large. Uh, he doesn't have much money, uh, but he will continue to fight in Philadelphia for his uh, planks on the platform. I have no doubt about that. As someone who voted and volunteered for Bernie in the New York primary, but will do the same for Hillary in November, I I was saddened when Bernie supporters booed Hillary when he mentioned her in his speech last night. I I also didn't love hearing them chant Bernie or bust multiple times. Granted, you know, I know these are the the most diehard supporters who are going to wait in an airplane hangar that late at night to hear him speak. That said, I'm concerned it's going to be difficult to get some of his supporters to vote for Hillary. So I'm just wondering how you think he makes this case and also... How does how does Bernie convince his supporters that their voices will be heard by Hillary? Well, uh, well, I think there are a couple of things. Uh, one we mentioned uh, in the first, in um, hour two. Uh, I think one of the things Hillary Clinton is going to do to accommodate the Sanders supporters uh, is replace Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, and I think many uh, Sanders supporters uh, will see that as a welcome sign of conciliation. Uh, I also suspect that Hillary is going to bend over backwards to accommodate Senator Sanders uh, on uh, things in the platform that he cares about a lot. Uh, 
And finally, I think next week sometime, Elizabeth Warren is going to endorse Hillary Clinton, and she is very popular, maybe more popular with Bernie supporters than Bernie is. Uh, so there are a number of things that are going to happen quickly that will help. And, you know, the other thing you have to take into take it into context, yeah, there surely will be some Sanders people uh, who stay home and not vote for Hillary. But for every disaffected Bernie voter there is, uh, there's going to be a disaffected Republican woman somewhere who's not going to vote for Trump, and another Latino voter who didn't vote in the 2012 election but will vote in this election. Uh, yeah, there'll be Democratic dissenters, but I would bet you serious money there'll be a lot more Republican defectors, and I'll also bet you that on election night, more Democrats will vote for Hillary than Republicans vote for Trump. I think it's a, a very a multiple uh, points there that I, I think are very you know factually based, Brad. I think that basically who will drop off on the other side is obviously just as important because it always comes down to math, uh, as, or as Bernie Sanders said, arithmetic. Um, he did say something last night that stuck with me and I thought was pretty uh, important. He said, quote, our mission is more than defeating Donald Trump. It's about transforming America. And I agree that has to be true for our party, Brad, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've said this before on the show, uh, that if you look at this contest between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders won all the battles and lost the war. Uh, he uh, won everything except for the nomination. He has already influenced the Democratic platform. Even if we just stopped Right here, the Democratic platform uh, would be a lot more change-oriented than it would be if Bernie Sanders hadn't run for president. Uh, so the party does need change, and the party will get change. Uh, you know, the one thing that is important as a student of political history I've learned, change happens in American politics, but it happens over a long period of time. And I think you're going to see over the next decade or so the Democratic Party uh, become more of a Bernie Sanders-style party simply because uh, the millennial voters who love Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren uh, are going to become the big power block in the Democratic Party. And as they do, uh, the party will look a lot more like uh, Bernie Sanders than it does now. Uh, we're going to take a break on that note. I think it's another good uh, point to pause, Brad. You know, I think if, if anyone wants to join in, I think Brad's right. I think we are going to see the party turn more into a party that does look like the voters, uh, you know, that have voted for Bernie Sanders, um, more progressive, um, more uh, focused on issues like, um, you know, free public universities, uh, universal health care, things that Hillary Clinton has come to the left on. And I think, as Brad has said, uh, you know, it's basically because of Bernie Sanders uh, helping to pull her in that direction that I think she now is championing those issues and is something that he should be proud of and his supporters should be proud of. Uh, if you'd like to weigh in on that, the number to do so is 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Uh, we're also going to get into the role that President Obama plays in helping to unite the party and uh, how he may uh, play a role in convincing uh, Bernie supporters to vote for Hillary and what kind of role he'll play in defeating Donald Trump in November. We're 
also going to get into uh, Trump's speech uh, last night as well and the fallout from his comments regarding uh, Judge Gonzalo Curiel, the judge in the Trump University case. If you'd like to join in, the number is 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. This is Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer, joining you for the remainder of the hour. And again, joined by our good friend of the show, Brad Bannon. You can follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark J. Grimaldi. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by Brad Bannon. We're going to get back to the calls. We go to a good friend of the show, Paul, in Washington. Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Mark. Uh, and good to be on with you again, Brad. It's been a while. Hi, Paul. Yeah. Well, I think that it would be a good idea at this point for the Democratic minds, especially the diehard Bernie Sanders supporters, to start thinking about playing small ball. And what I mean by that is down ticket. And the reason is this. Uh, Bernie Sanders, had he been the nominee, would need very, very heavy, heavy Democratic domination, uh, starting with state legislatures and governorships, and then, of course, the U.S. Uh, US Congress, uh, both houses, House and Senate, to accomplish anything that he wanted to do. If you want to talk about dragging Hillary further to the left, well, no better way than to at least give her the opportunity to uh, say yes to, those, to that kind of an agenda. Currently, uh, I would say that the kind of uh, domination I'm talking about is governors that are Democratic governors in, well, right now we have 30 states where there are Republican governors. We need to turn that around and make it 35 states that are Democratic governors, especially, with uh, at least a split legislatures not dominated by uh, Republicans as we have now. And, of course, we need to win back control of the United States Congress. In uh, the House of Representatives would be uh, a big battle at this point. I don't know if we'll take it this year, but we need to be focused. So that's getting out to vote. Giving the nominee, Hillary Clinton, the same opportunities that they would want Bernie Sanders to have, and that's what I'm talking about is he's going to need that kind of domination uh, by Democratic. And notice I say Democratic and not independent or green, because that's not what's going to get the. That's not what's going to accomplish the agenda. The agenda is going to be accomplished by Democratic Democrats in office in legislatures in the U.S. Congress. I, you know, I agree with you, what you say because you know whatever, whether it's Bernie or Hillary putting their agenda forth, obviously the Republican Party, you know, has no appetite to work. You know, across party lines, look at the past eight years. I mean, the Mitch McConnell on you know the night. You know, Obama's becoming president is, you know, having these backroom deals. And then he comes out and says, you know, our goal is to make Obama a one term president, right. you know, and he's still in power in the Senate. So I, I think um, it's a good point uh, that needs to be made, which is, you know, if Bernie's got, uh, you know, some leverage, it's that, you know, basically to say you're going to need all these supporters to sweep in uh, people under you uh, to get things you need past, uh, you know, Secretary Clinton. So um, what do you think about that point, uh, Brad, that Paul just made? Well, uh, Paul makes a good point. Uh, first of all, uh, it's very w- 
very possible, and I'd say almost likely, uh, that the Democrats will take the Senate majority this year. Uh, and again, that is, you know, Trump's nomination is a drag uh, on incumbent Republican senators who have to run for election this year. And all we need is four seats. And, uh, you know, there are probably six or seven Republican Senate seats that are in jeopardy. Uh, the House is going to stay Democratic, sadly, um, and it will stay. You mean Republican? Democratic. Republican. Yeah, and even more sadly, it will stay Republican um, into 2022. Uh, and let me tell you why. In 2010, Republicans won a massive victory in state legislatures across the country. And they used that power, their domination of state legislatures and governors, as Paul said, to redraw uh, the congressional district lines after the 2010 census. And that prohibits uh, the Democrats from taking control until we redraw lines after the 2020s uh, uh, census. And, uh, you know, for instance, in uh, 2012, uh, no, in 2014, more people voted for Democratic House members in Congress than Republican House members, but the redistricting so sternly favors the Republicans, you know, they won 70 more seats. Uh, Michigan is a good example. I think Michigan has 14 House members in uh, Washington. Uh, the Democratic congressional candidates in Michigan won a clear majority of the vote, but they only won five of the 14 districts in Michigan. And it's all about redistricting, and the Democrats have to fight hard to win state legislatures back in 2020 so they can redraw the lines on a more equitable basis. But Paul's exactly right about everything he said. Paul, did you want to respond to Brad on that? Well, yeah, that in Michigan probably the most egregious example, that being my home state, for which I will forever be an ex-patriot. <laughs> I'm... I'm uh, I guess I'm glad to be in Seattle, but I, I, that, what, what has happened to Michigan over the last 25 years is, uh, in a lot of ways, I think the exodus from Michigan, uh, an example of that would be the Detroit, which was, you know, in the heyday when I was growing up there, a city of more than 2 million people now, uh, population-wise, is now a city that is just about 10,000 more people than Seattle. I mean, so there's been a massive exodus from Michigan, and uh, most of those people, I think, were Democrats, uh, and if like me, headed for the West Coast, which may be why California is so, uh, so predominantly Democratic. So, yeah, I, I think that's, and of course, what's going on in Michigan is a, a prime example of uh, a really extremist uh, Republican right-wing takeover. Uh, that legislature is, is just out of control in the state. By the way, I'll be returning there for a visit uh, tomorrow. I'll be there for a couple of weeks. And what that state legislature has done hey, with Paul, uh, it's Paul, hold, like that, hold that thought for one second. Yeah. I don't want to cut you off, and I want to let you get into this a little more. We'll be right back with Brad, our caller, Paul, and you. If you'd like to join us, the number to do so is 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. This is Mark Rimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by Brad Bannon. And again, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. We uh, were joined by Paul from Washington. Paul, I know you were uh, talking about your uh, home state of uh, Michigan. Go ahead. Well, yeah, just to finish off and addressing Brad's point about the redistricting, uh, the Republicans, for instance, in Michigan, some if you look at the shape of some of the districts that they've drawn, are, they're just crazy. Look, they, look, they look like a jigsaw puzzle pieces, you know. In some cases, you have stretches that are a mile or two wide and run, you run like a noodle for, you know, 20 miles. I mean, it, it, you think, what kind of district is that? And, and so to, we have really about four years, uh, this, uh, this cycle uh, and the 2018, and I don't know if the 2020 cycle would be part of the census drawing or not, Brad, but we no, got... it wouldn't. It wouldn't. The census wouldn't con- cut in until the 2022 elections. Okay, so we got, we got three cycles, three off your cycles. And actually, we, as I try to remind people, there's an election every year. You know, the calendar goes Halloween, then Election Day, and then Thanksgiving, and then Christmas. But people seem to forget. So we have to show up and vote. And the Democrats have just that much time to get control of these state legislatures. And so what we can read, district. And of course, the Supreme Court has weighed in on this. So, uh, and just recently by saying you can't draw a district that looks like a noodle just to encompass uh, all African Americans in one district. So. Yeah, you're right on target there, Brad. And and I think another point that is brought up is the Supreme Court, which is another reason why this election is so important, is because so many decisions that you know I and many progressives find important, like my number one issue, money and politics, can be changed uh, at least you know the, through the veil of Citizens United by having a fifth Supreme Court justice, since they won't uh, let President Obama have his appointee Merrick Garland have uh, a fair hearing. It looks like it's going to take another. Democratic president being elected to force their hand on that. Um, speaking of the redistricting, though, it, that's another reason why it's so important, as Paul has said, to have everyone vote uh, in elections. And I'm hoping that's something that Bernie Sanders has helped energize a new generation to get involved in uh, civics and in and, and politics. And I think, as Brad said, it's possible that the next generation of the Democratic Party is, is what we're looking at, uh, at Bernie Sanders' followers. Um, and I think that's a major goal that he should have and that the Democrats should have and keeping those voters uh, galvanized. Um, one key person in bringing uh, Bernie Sanders and his supporters together with uh, those of Hillary Clinton and her supporters, I think, will be President Obama. We already know that he's going to be speaking to Senator Sanders at the White House. I think it's tomorrow. Um, Brad, how do you think that the president can help to unite the party and, and how does he help to convince Bernie supporters uh, to get behind Hillary? Well, it's uh, the president, since he did not open, he openly endorsed Hillary Clinton uh, during the primary season, uh, can play an honest, uh, can act as an honest broker between the Sanders camp uh, and the Clinton camp. And I think that's what he will try to do. Uh, I think that President Obama will get Bernie and Hillary to sit down and talk uh, and work out their disagreements uh, to agree on a unified position for the party platform. And the reality is he has a lot of weight. I mean, one of the interesting things that we've sort of ignored in the last few months because we've been so focused on the presidential candidates uh, is we've lost track of the fact that the president uh, has become increasingly popular over the last few months. 
Uh, right now, uh, there are a clear majority of Americans uh, who think President Obama is doing a good job as president, and something like 90% of the Democrats uh, like Barack Obama. So he carries considerable weight, uh, and I think he will use that weight uh, to uh, make things easier for Hillary in reaching some kind of agreement uh, with Bernie Sanders that will unite the party. And, of course, uh, as I've said before, Donald Trump is already working hard on uniting the Democratic Party, so we get a head start. Uh, Speaking of Obama and Trump, what kind of role do you think Obama will play in helping to defeat Trump? I think he's going to play a very active role, or I should say he's already played a very active role. Um, I think he pretty much every week for the last couple of months, he's taken a short, uh, you know, a big, big strong pop at Trump uh, on one thing or another. Uh, And the latest has been the president criticized uh, Trump last week strongly on his bias against the judge handling the Trump University case. Uh, the first lady gave a commencement speak in, speech in New York City on Friday, and she blasted Trump. Uh, so the president is already beating, has been beating up Trump for months, uh, and I think we'll go into even higher gear uh, now that the nomination's been settled. I know Reggie, uh, our caller from Georgia, wanted to talk specifically about Donald Trump's comments regarding uh, the judge in the Trump University case, Gonzalo Curiel. Uh, Reggie, go ahead. Yeah, happy hump day to both you and Brad, Brandon, Mark. Hi, Reggie. Um, yeah, how you do? How you guys doing, by the way? Well, anyway, what do you think about uh, Donald Trump's racist remarks against uh, American judge who he thought was a Mexican, and another one who's a, who's a Muslim American? Well, the short answer to your question is, is that his comments on the judge handling his case have been a disaster. Uh, in the last 48 hours, you've had every prominent national Republican figure I know blast Trump for his uh, comments. Newt Gingrich, John Kasich, Marco Rubio, uh, Jeb Bush, uh, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, uh, you name them, and uh, they have blasted Trump for his handling uh, of uh, his comments. Uh, yesterday, Paul Ryan uh, said that uh, uh, that Trump's comments about the judge were textbook racism, and those are the use the speaker used, not mine. Textbook racism, uh, and. And in the last 48 hours, Trump is basically uh, self, you know, is imploding. Uh, And he has really done a lot of damage to his candidacy in the last 48 hours because of his comments on the the judge. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's, it's weird because... After it was clear Trump was the nominee, he was doing a very good job bringing on Republican leaders and bringing them into the Trump fold. But he destroyed all that work in the last 48 hours. Uh, And Republicans, uh, national Republicans, are in a panic now uh, because they know uh, Trump's comments are just going to do more to galvanize the Latino vote. And honestly, Republicans uh, have written off Trump, but they're scared to death he's going to bring down um, a lot of Republican senators up for re-election this year and lose the Senate. So his comments have, you know, have severely uh, wounded himself, and they're all in self-inflicted wounds. 
You know, he he gave the speech last night after, uh, you know, obviously facing a lot of criticism, as you brought up, Brad, from his own party. Um, You had Senator Mark Kirk uh, of Illinois uh, come out and say that he will not support Trump for president. You had Jeff Flake of Arizona saying he can't support him yet uh, yesterday, and uh, that was not touched on at all in Trump's speech last night. We're going to play a bit of that uh, right now where Trump uh, instead, you know, focused on trying to appeal to the supporters of Bernie Sanders, and then we'll get your take on that uh, as well, Brad. Everyone who voted for me throughout this campaign, I want to thank you. I want to thank you very, very much. (laughs) To those who voted for someone else in either party, I'll work hard to earn your support, and I will work very hard to earn that support. To all of those Bernie Sanders voters who have been left out in the cold by a rigged system of superdelegates, we welcome you with open arms. And by the way, the terrible trade deals that Bernie was so vehemently against, and he's right on that, will be taken care of far better than anyone ever thought possible. And that's what I do. We are going to have fantastic trade deals. We're going to start making money and bringing in jobs. One of the the things I noticed about that speech is, you know, obviously a lot of lip service, not a lot of details as far as that goes. When we did get into details regarding how he planned on negotiating trade, um, you know, the economists who evaluated him saying different strategies that he would use versus some concrete plans that Bernie had, very different. Um, And they said that what Trump would do would, you know, essentially put our economic system uh, back into collapse mode um, and doing things like negotiating the dollars on a bond that that get paid back uh, to United States bondholders, uh, just showing that, you know, he's in above his head. It's not negotiating a real estate deal. Uh, but beyond that, um, what did you think of uh, Trump's speech last night? Obviously making no, uh, you know, not not talking at all about apologizing for his comments, uh, his racist comments towards uh, Judge Curiel. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I think uh, the obvious thing to point out um, is he should have apologized um, for his comments about the judge, um, and he will pay a political price for not uh, for not uh, apologizing because this whole uh, affair with the judge has caused him a lot of damage, uh, mostly self-inflicted damage from his own party. There are now, to my knowledge, four United States. Republican United States senators who said they're not going to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, ben Sass from Nebraska. Uh, uh, let's see who else. Uh, Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. Uh, Mark Kirk from Illinois, uh, and possibly Jeff Flake from Arizona. There is at one at least one Republican governor who said he will not vote uh, for uh, Donald Trump. That would be Charlie Baker, the Republican governor of Massachusetts, uh, and he's. Trump, all this isn't self-inflicted. I think the other thing to point out about that speech last night is that it was a horrible speech because it was not Donald Trump. It was some uh, uh, homogenized version of Donald Trump uh, where he read a speech, which he hates doing, uh, from a teleprompter, which was very dull and untrumped. 
uh, and on Trump. And the reason he did that is because the RNC told him to clean up the Republican National Committee, told him uh, yesterday or the day before that he had to clean up his act. And whenever Donald Trump acts like a normal candidate, uh, which he did last night, he's just another candidate. I think another telling commentary on Trump's speech last night uh, was Newt Gingrich, uh, who said that his only comment on last night's festivities was he thought Hillary Clinton gave a great speech. <laughs> you know, things are pretty bad on the Republican side. We talk a lot about the division between the Sanders and Clinton people, but it is not nothing like the chasm that exists between in the Republican Party uh, between uh, Trump and uh, and you know moderate Republicans. Uh, you know, and you know one other thing about the Bernie people. How many liberal, the Bernie people are very liberal. How many Bernie Sanders people are going to vote for a racist? No. And the answer is very few of them. Exactly, uh, especially when you look at two, uh, the support from millennials who do not view race anywhere close to the way that Donald Trump views race. And uh, it's just something that I, I know I've been turned off by and many other millennials have. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with our final segment. We've got a couple calls. We see you there. We will get to you before the end of the show. If you'd like to get in before this last segment, the number to do so is 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer, joined by Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research. Check out his website, BannonCR.com, or follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Rimaldi in for Leslie Marshall for one more segment. Joined by good friend of the show, Brad Bannon. Follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon or check out his website, BannonCR.com, where you can find his uh, blog posts and other uh, radio appearances. We're going to go back to the calls. We are now joined by uh, Ron in Albuquerque. Ron, welcome to the show. Go ahead with your comments. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I just want to let this guy know... um I live, I live out here in Albuquerque. A few years ago, I had a lot more money. I'm living down in, in an area now where it's just ordinary people. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a dogfight to the finish. And if these the Democratic people do not have all hands on deck, they're not going to win. My brother's a precinct committeeman in Illinois. He's a union man for 40 years. He tells me the union is not going to endorse anybody. Over half the union supports Trump, and they don't care what he does. The fact is they're sick and tired of what they had before. And a lot of these commentators, they don't understand because they haven't been there. They think, I don't care what somebody says in Washington, D.C. I care about what somebody can do for me right now. And what I'm trying to say, the man out there in the East is a skunk he, with a profuse odor, and he's also a, a person that is a uh, pipe piper that's going to turn into a pit viper. Now, we, we have to hit him head up and hit him right under the chin. You can't let somebody just keep rolling on you. And if the commentators on these TV shows I watch 
keep mentioning his name, mentioning his name, and mentioning his name, we're going to lose the election because he's getting way too much publicity, and I don't care whether it's good or bad. It's publicity, and that's what he likes. He likes to see his name, and I ain't mentioning his name. His name means nothing. He is nothing. We're going to take him out one day at a time. I was, a, like I said, I was a criminal defense investigator for 30 years, and I'm telling you, you've got to do it one day at a time. You can't let somebody roll over you. You've got to let them know they can't. Do you think, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton with, like, her foreign policy speech last week, I thought hit him very strong, and a lot, a lot of people said it was probably her strongest speech uh, against him yet uh, as far as the attacks on him. And she used his own words against him, which were, I thought, pretty effective because no one could sit there and say, oh, that's not true, or oh, you didn't say that. Is that the type of, of thing you want to see more of? I'm going to tell you what, but I, I know Bill Clinton personally. I, I was, was in his campaign. He said there's three things you've got to do in an election. You've got to say what you're for and you agree with them on. But you don't agree with them on, and you've got to know something about the other guy nobody knows. And I've, always, and I've heard him say that more than once. And, and I'm just saying, I don't care what he says. I want everybody to know what I want to do. And jobs is important. And she, you know, I, I don't care what she's done in the past. I just care what's going to happen in the future. Because the past is past history. That is, uh, look at Trump. He was very, very, very liberal in the past. As a matter of fact, he had said some nice things about Bill Clinton during the Mike Lewinsky thing. I mean, there's so much stuff out there on him that people need to use it. But like I said, as long as there people, there are, I think there's a certain bias in the media right now for him. Why? I don't know. Because there's some things that haven't never come out yet that should come out, and it's bugging the heck out of me that's not coming out. Well, we we will see. I, I'm sure if there's something out there, you're going to see it before November. But, um, like, you know, I think you bring up some interesting points. Ron, Brad, did you want to comment on what Ron brought up? Well, yeah, first of all, um, I come from a union family. That's how I got into politics. Um, and uh, several of my family, uh, families uh, are uh, members of labor unions. And I can guarantee you uh, there are going to be very few uh, union members who vote for a racist who is against an increase in the minimum wage. Uh, the Wall Street Journal and a couple of – when the national polls come out, they usually uh, segment – uh, union members. And in the last poll I saw, which is the Wall Street Journal uh, poll, Hillary Clinton was beating Trump 70 to 15 among union members. Uh, in New Mexico, the Albuquerque paper released a poll a few weeks ago that showed Hillary Clinton had a 25% lead uh, in New Mexico. And But I agree with you that Hillary Clinton has to be very forceful, uh, and she was. I, I don't know if you had the chance to look at the spe her speech last night, last week on foreign policy, but it was a strong condemnation of Donald Trump. Uh, the president uh, has been criticizing uh, Trump uh, pretty much every week like clockwork. Um, even the first lady, uh, Michelle Obama, gave a speech in New York City uh, last week where she popped uh, Donald Trump very hard. So I think you're going to see Hillary Clinton and all Democrats be very aggressive uh, beating up Trump. Brad, thanks for that comment. I want to give our uh, last call of the day to Jake in Eureka, uh, California. Jake, you've got about a minute. Go ahead. I'd like to say during this bargaining process between Bernie Sanders, President Obama, and the Clinton campaign, Senator Sanders absolutely cannot insist and demand that Hillary Clinton adopt his campaign. His campaign was unsuccessful inside the Democratic Party, and it's not going to be successful against Trump. Running an ideological, hard-left, hate-the-rich, class-warfare campaign 
is not going to work against Trump because, first of all, Trump's an ideological shapeshifter. And when it comes to, you know, running this class warfare campaign, that never works for the Democrats at the presidential level. You know, it worked 80 years ago during the midst of the Great Depression, but it's not going to work now when unemployment, the unemployment rate is only like 4%. Brad, I'm going to let you take, you got about 20 seconds here if you want to respond. That's going to happen. Uh, Hillary's going to be the nominee, and she's going to control the shots in the campaign. Uh, so I don't think you should worry about that happening at all. Uh, and I think it's quite clear President Obama wants Hillary to be president. And negotiating with Sanders, he will do everything he can to make sure that happens. For Brad Bannon, uh, and uh, I am Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer. Thank you uh, to all of our callers and listeners who have joined us today. Tune in tomorrow from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. In the meantime, have a great evening, and thanks for joining us.